Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It's Friday, December 9th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a browser button proposed by Tim Berners-Lee in 1997 that could have changed the web as we know it. Or could it? Plus, eight artists from around the world are officially going on a trip around the moon thanks to a controversial Japanese billionaire. And Hot Pockets just launched a line of cargo shorts with actual Hot Pockets. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Going back and reading what some of the early founders of the internet thought about what it would become is always fascinating and often a little disappointing. What the web has become is very different from what its founder, Tim Berners-Lee, intended. To hear him describe it in a talk he gave at the World Wide Web Consortium meeting in London at the end of 1997, his original vision almost sounds more like a work productivity tool, which is basically what he built it to be when he created a forerunner to the web for him and his co-workers at CERN in the 80s. He says the first goal of the web was simply to work together better. It's wild to think that he's talking about the entirety of the World Wide Web when his description comes across more like a pitch for Slack or Trello. As he outlines the many benefits of his original vision of the web within companies, Berners-Lee drops this doozy, quote, The web was designed as an instrument to prevent misunderstandings, end quote. Dang, hearing that in 2022 stings a bit. Sure, the web can be used to clear up some misunderstandings, but it's often the web that caused those misunderstandings in the first place. Now, to Berners-Lee's credit, when he gave this talk in 1997, he was already starting to see the ways in which the public were using the web in ways different from how he had imagined it. And he was proposing different solutions which could help it, if not return to his original vision, at least stay the course in a positive and safe way for all involved. He proposed one feature in particular that captured the attention of Michael J. Sokolow over at Slate, who re-upped this talk from Berners-Lee in an article last week. That browser feature, which I have to imagine would have undergone some rebranding if it were ever executed, though then again, thinking about the culture of early web developers, maybe not. The feature was a button for your browser called, oh yeah? That's it. That's what the button would have been called, according to Berners-Lee. Oh yeah? Oh, comma, yeah, question mark. Here's how Berners-Lee described it in that talk 25 years ago this month. Quote, When we have this, we'll be able to ask the computer not just for information, but why we should believe it. Imagine an oh yeah button on your browser. There you are looking at a fantastic deal that can be yours just for the entry of a credit card number and the click of a button. Oh yeah, you think? You press the oh yeah button, and you're asking your browser why you should believe it. 
It, in turn, can challenge the server to provide some credentials. Perhaps a signature for the document or a list of documents that expresses what that key is good for. Those documents will be signed. Your browser rummages through with the server, looking for a way to convince you that the page is trustworthy for a purchase. Maybe it will come up with an endorsement from a magazine, which in turn has been endorsed by a friend. Maybe it will come up with an endorsement by the seller's bank, which has in turn an endorsement from your bank. Maybe it won't find any reason for you to actually believe what you're reading at all. End quote. The Oh Yeah button was an idea that he'd been percolating on for a while. Here he is describing it to the MIT Technology Review a year prior. Quote, Say you're going into uncharted territory on the web, and you find some piece of information that is critical to the decision you're going to make, but you're not confident that the source of the information is who it is claimed to be. You should be able to click on, oh yeah, and the browser program would tell the server computer to get some authentication by comparing encrypted digital signatures, for example, that the document was in fact generated by its claimed author. The server could then present you with an argument as to why you might believe this document or why you might not, end quote. As Sokolo clarifies in Slate, this was not about verification or truth, per se. It would be almost more like LinkedIn endorsements, maybe on a sort of ledger. It would give you an idea of what other people who have interacted with this link, an article, a product, an offer, had thought about it, or how they had linked to or interacted with it. It wouldn't fact-check anything, but it could help you suss out credibility. Even as this idea admits that swindlers were already creeping online in 1997, it still betrays a bit too much optimism for how reality played out. Sure, you could perhaps scroll through these endorsements and the oh yeah button, but you still have to choose to believe them, or to believe some of them over others if they vary greatly from one another. And on a particularly conspiratorial or bombastic article, for example, might the oh yeah button be filled predominantly with other like-minded people giving it their stamp of approval? I mean, I'm sure there are intricacies to this which I don't technically understand, but given what we know now, I think it easily could have become, in some instances, just as much of an echo chamber as certain filter bubbles and niche communities online are now. Maybe it wouldn't be quite as bad, though. Sokolo argues that it could have nipped fake news and disinformation and catfishing in the bud. It might have even prevented online advertising from becoming the Goliath that it has. An oh yeah button could quickly show a person that advertised claims were untrue. Though an equally likely scenario is advertising somehow defeating the oh yeah button and reigning supreme. Berners-Lee, over the years, has become particularly critical of online advertising. He helped develop a data-sharing standard called SOLID, which enables people to store their data, important documents, music, photos, etc., in decentralized data stores called PODs, which are secure personal web servers for your data. It's his attempt to disrupt the hegemony of advertisers and take back personal privacy. If the web, as he tells it, became a publishing medium, failing to ever become as a collaborative a tool as he envisioned and designed internally, then at least he can help make it more secure. And I do think there are a lot of intriguing ideas to dig into here, going along with the larger trend towards private communities over public profiles that we're starting to see in social media right now. I mean, how do you advertise on those? Likewise, how do you encourage collaboration, security, and scrutiny? 
They're big questions that Berners-Lee and other smart folks are thinking critically about right now. But back in 1997, Sokolow says, Berners-Lee was too optimistic about the possibility of accumulating and distributing a shared reality in the future. End quote. And I think that's pretty key here. His vision really relied on a public who was curious, well-intentioned, and driven toward the same values as him and other founders and early adopters. Though, by the mid-90s, it does seem that cynicism, or at least exasperation, was already setting in for him. In that 1996 interview with MIT, he addressed some critiques from people who were newer web users and thought that it wouldn't last because it was just an infinite hole of banal, useless material. To which he replied, quote, To people who complain that they've been reading junk, I suggest they think about how they got there. A link implies things about quality. A link from a quality source will generally be only to other quality documents. A link to a low-quality document reduces the effective quality of the source document. The lesson for people who create web documents is that the links are just as important as the other content because that is how you give quality to the people who read your article. That's how paper publications establish their credibility. They get their information from credible sources. You don't go down the street after all, picking up every piece of paper blowing in the breeze. If you find that a search engine gives you garbage, don't use it. End quote. All valid points, and a similar theory to his oh yeah button idea, but again betrays his assumption that people would be that discerning. They weren't in 1997 and have only become less so as the web proliferated and social media emerged. As Sokolow points out, why would you want to check the biases of something when social media algorithms channel us into cozy worlds where our biases and beliefs require no skepticism and merely reconfirm our beliefs at every turn? It's so much nicer living in that ignorant bliss. Most don't even question it. Quoting Sokolow, In hindsight, we ultimately traded away the oh yeah button for the like button, and that was a huge mistake. End quote. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You know that line from the movie Contact when Jodie Foster's character is in space and wondrously observes, they should have sent a poet. That sentiment has been echoed over and over again throughout the years when astronauts try to describe what it's like seeing space and seeing our Earth from so far above. Now, to their credit, many of those astronauts are great writers or artists in other respects, and as space tourism has begun, we've had more artists and entertainers travel to the edge of space and beyond. William Shatner, for one, came down from his brief trip spitting poetry about the life-altering experience. But it's another billionaire's joyride which aims to be the first-ever artist-centered mission to space. After abandoning his earlier girlfriend space contest, entrepreneur Yusaka Mezawa has announced the lineup of eight artists that he will fly around the moon on a SpaceX starship possibly as early as next year. 
He held a contest last year called Dear Moon, in which he invited artists from all over the world to apply for a spot on the crew, which will also be the first ever civilian mission to the moon. So who has been picked for this milestone? From America, Billboard charting DJ Steve Aoki, for real, as well as Tim Dodd, better known as Everyday Astronaut, over on YouTube, where he has 1.3 million subscribers and has interviewed Elon Musk several times, and filmmaker Brendan Hall, perhaps best known for the documentary Blood Sugar Rising. From the Czech Republic, choreographer Yemi A.D., who gained prominence in part from working with Ye, or Kanye West. From the United Kingdom, photographer Kareem Ilya, and from Ireland, another photographer, Rihanna Adam. From South Korea comes Big Bang lead singer and rapper Top, and from India, popular TV actor Dev Joshi. It is quite the crew, and just absolutely wild, to think about an all-civilian trip around the moon. Especially considering Orion is just now returning from its exploratory mission to make sure the SLS is safe for human flight at all. So on that note, the currently slated 2023 launch date is probably an early estimate for this SpaceX Starship mission. As Space.com says, quote, Starship has not yet been approved for an orbital journey around Earth, let alone a flight to the moon. The spaceship has been grounded for more than 18 months as SpaceX awaits approval from the Federal Aviation Administration regarding environmental assessment requirements at its Starbase launch location in South Texas, end quote. But they must be confident the mission will still happen at some point given the big announcement this week. But speaking of Orion, the spacecraft is due to splash down on Sunday, completing its inaugural Artemis 1 mission around the moon. If all goes well, it should splash down around 12.40 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday in the Pacific Ocean off the coast of Baja, California. The recovery of the capsule is no small feat. It will involve crew from the Kennedy Space Center's Exploration Ground Systems, the U.S. Department of Defense, including the Navy and the Air Force, and technicians and engineers from the Johnson Space Center and Lockheed Martin. It is a complex and vital affair because NASA will want to study every last detail of the capsule once it's recovered, and because, like the rest of the mission, the whole thing is essentially a dress rehearsal for when the capsule next goes into space and returns with actual humans on board. I imagine there will be some sort of coverage on NASA TV during re-entry and the recovery operations, so head over to NASA's YouTube channel to watch around noon Eastern on Sunday. Well, talk about knowing your brand. Hot Pockets has just announced a new line of literal Hot Pockets. That is, cargo shorts with insulated pockets to keep your sandwiches warm all winter long. The khaki shorts come with a fiery cartoon design on one leg that says, Stay Heated, and helpful labeling for Insert Sandwich Here above the insulated pocket and cold above the boring, non-insulated pocket. The microwavable turnover brand is also offering an exclusive hoodie to pair with the shorts, which features a similar flaming cartoon on the back. Quoting from the company's press release, Everyone knows someone who is a year-round, shins-in-the-wind, shorts devotee, paying no mind to what the wind chill factor might caution. 
For those brave enough to battle the cold year-round, Hot Pockets is bringing the heat while keeping sandwiches warm with the new Hot Pockets-inspired shorts. Might as well delete that weather app now. With Hot Pockets shorts, fans can look cool, or should we say hot, on the snowiest school day, the coldest work morning, or just when gaming with friends. Plus, with a Hot Pockets sandwich stored conveniently at arm's length, they'll be ready for whenever hunger strikes. End quote. The shorts and hoodie will drop in the Hot Pockets online store this Saturday, December 12th, and will be available in men's sizing from small to extra large. You can sign up at the link in the show notes to be notified when the new line is live. And you know, I gotta say, this is the exact kind of brand nonsense that I love. I'm a little disappointed that it took them this many years to get around to making literal Hot Pockets, but I'm glad they got there in the end. Well, all right, that is going to be it from me for this week. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again on Monday. Have a great weekend.